This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. But I also think that there is, there has to be a place for sort of the wilderness of our faith. There has to be a place of wandering. There has to be a place where we are honest about our I don't knows and are you theirs. Is God there? Is he even real? And if he's real, is he good? These are some of those big existential questions that get asked, that we ask, and that God even asks us through the pages of Scripture. Today, I am chatting with my friend Lori Ferguson Wilbert. She's the author of A Curious Faith, The Questions God Asks, We Ask, and We Wish Someone Would Ask Us. This is a helpful conversation on everything from doubt and untangling the challenges of faith here in this modern moment, as well as what does it look like to risk vulnerability in community to ask questions together? Listen in. I'm sure you'll find a question to ask yourself or to ask to someone else. Welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Hales, author of A Spacious Life. I love big ideas, but ideas have to move beyond an ivory tower to find their application in the midst of our work and our laundry routines. Here on the Finding Holy Podcast, expect conversations about how to live faithfully in a post-Christian world, but without the vitriol, posturing, or shouting across the aisles. Friends, welcome to the Finding Holy Podcast, and I'm here with a writer friend of mine, Lori Ferguson Wilbert. Her most recent book is called A Curious Faith, The Questions God Asks, We Ask, and We Wish Someone Would Ask Us. So Lori, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, friend. So as we think about the importance of curiosity, you've said on a few occasions that this book is the book that you needed to write, you know, that you needed to read. And it's often said, right, that writers write what they need to read. Um, So tell us a little bit about that. How is this posture of curiosity and questions something that you needed to hear? And maybe you're writing a little bit to your younger self. I mean, I think like so many of the people around us right now um, who are going through crises in their faith, some are calling it deconstruction. I really like Brian Zond calls it a renovation, faith, faith renovation. I kind of went through that period as well in my late twenties and early thirties, late twenties mostly. And, um, I just had a lot of questions about God and I found that people within the church mostly wanted to answer those questions. Um, and I think well-meaning they were well-meaning uh, and wanting to answer those questions. Um, but what I really needed was to be able to, um, get to the bottom of those questions to ask what was underneath the questions. So not just as, is God good, but is God good to me? 
Or is God good to the starving kid in Africa? Or is God good to the family who just lost their father? Those kinds of questions um, where the rubber kind of hits the road in our own lives. Um, and so, yeah, this was the book I think I needed in those in those years. Mm-hmm. You know, and as we as we think about kind of why do those questions need to be so specific? Like, you know, like when you're differentiating right there between, you know, not just is God good, but is he good to me? Is he good to the starving child? Um, what do we get when we dig a little deeper to those kind of ultimate questions? What is that unearthing in us or has unearthed in you through this writing? I think it unearths truth, right? Like it, it unearths what's actually true about what we believe about God and what we believe about the world and what we believe about ourselves instead of um, setting up straw mans all over the place, straw man all over the place and, um, or um, hypothetical questions uh, and letting those sort of hypothetical questions or like ethereal questions that don't really have any concrete substance to them be the things that our faith really kind kind of has to, to wrestle with. But when we make those questions really concrete and we get underneath the, the hypothetical question or the existential question, um, then we really have to reckon with, is God good to me? And what do, what do I think goodness looks like in my life? What do I think goodness is in my life? What would be the, the bar of goodness um, in my life if God was good? And then when we start asking those questions, I think we're faced with um, all kinds of things. We're faced with our selfishness. We're faced with um, whether we feel loved by God. We're faced with um, whether we love God, whether we love our neighbors. Uh, We're faced with all kinds of things that are really kind of deep in that most of us don't want to face um, on a regular basis. And that's, it's challenging to get underneath those things. It's challenging to face those things um, and to not know what we'll see. I, I So I think I would love to, to dig into, you know, use the word deconstruction, which if people are on Twitter or whatever, like people argue about that word and, you know, <laughs> you talked about it as a reconstruction, um, kind of rebuilding the house or maybe doing a renovation or I like the idea of untangling. There has to be a sense, right, for us to to grow into more mature faith, people of faith, that we do have to periodically peel back some layers, right? It, it needs to, it needs to grow. It needs to mature. Um, but that whole conversation around some of those terms has left people very loud on the internet. Let's just say that. Um, how are you trying to maybe, I don't know, walk a third way, if we're going to use Tim Keller's language or, you know, so that you're not saying, you're not capitulating to either, you know, we just, you know, we have our questions and our answers and they're, they're good and true, but we don't, we have this huge disconnect maybe between with like points of theology and how we actually live that out. Or that would be on the right or, or you know, maybe on the left, or we have the sense of, let's just ask all the questions all the time, whatever you come to, you know, is fine. How are you doing something different here? It's a good question. I don't think I set out to do something different here. Um, It wasn't necessarily in opposition to either of those two things. 
uh, one, because I do believe that there is an answer and his name is Jesus. Um, and we have to reckon with him. We have to reckon with, um, the cross, with his life, death, resurrection, eternity, commission, all those things. We have to reckon with those things. But I also think that there is, there has to be a place for sort of the wilderness of our faith. There has to be a place of wandering. There has to be a place where we are honest about our I don't knows and are you theirs. And I think it takes a very cursory glance at scripture to see uh, pretty much every single man and woman talked about in scripture goes through that period of time where they um, they despair, they reject, they doubt, they try to control. And, um, and throughout that process, God again and again and again and again shows them, um, himself. And, um, and so I never want to say to anyone that there is uh, no space in the Christian story for, a long period of time of questioning. Um, I mean, we see 40 years over and over again in scripture, you know, 40 years, 40 days for like, you know, there's long periods of time in which people wrestle with things. And I don't think God is ashamed of people when they're, when they're wrestling with those questions. Who have been good kind of question askers for you? You know, if we're thinking about, you know, how would you or how would the church as an institution provide space for, for that, um, for that belonging? Well, I'll say this. You and I share a spiritual director, and, um, and she has been a great question asker for me. Having a good therapist has been helpful. Um, I talk in the book about a friendship of mine where we've really had to grow in um, I tended to be the one who asked a lot of questions of her, and she rarely asked them of me. And um, I, for a long time, thought that was her fault. But I came to realize it was my fault because I was filling up all the space with my questions. Um, and so she's learned to be a good question asker. But I also think some writers and thinkers have modeled what it means to wonder Um about things. And I would say the earliest one for me was Madeline Langle. Um, as a middle schooler, I read her, um, meet the Austins or the Austin family series. And, um, and I was introduced to this family of creative nerds who wondered about all kinds of things. And as a middle schooler, I thought, Oh, my people <laughs> finally met my people. And, and I would say Madeline has been a voice for my whole life now since um since then she's probably been my you know she talks about showing people a light so lovely they can't look away and um or they can't help but want to know the source of it and she's kind of been a light so lovely for me in that sense i think wendell berry is a is a is a helpful thinker around these things he doesn't sort of go for the jugular um as he teaches us he kind of takes us there slowly. Yeah. And Barry does it too in his form as much as, you know, the content too, which is fun. One thing I really appreciated about your book is, I, you know, as I was looking through it, the 
that you actually, one of your chapters, you just write scripture, right? The, the, where were you question, right? At the, at the end of the book of Job. And I was like, that is so cool. One, (laughs) well, one, I was just like, I love that. That's just the chapter, which is like in the same thing we were saying, right? In the form you're, you're getting to the content too, right? That there is no answer, right? Um, to the question that, that God just hammers Job with, like, where were you when the foundation of the world was laid? And one thing you you write about kind of reckoning with this, the real God and not maybe just a version or, or one-sidedness of God. And you write that, that sometimes God's questions are the sort that draw uh, out, not us, but himself. And I find that difficult because it seems harsh. In the face of Job's suffering, God seems to strut out all the ways he's better. But when I think about the overwhelming love of God, the extravagant, reckless love of the God who created the universe, who created you and me, who is right now at work redeeming and reconciling all things to himself, I need him to be better than me. And so, yeah, I don't I don't know if I have a particular question, but talk about the ways in which as we actually wrestle with real questions, either receiving the questions that God asks of us or learning to ask better questions um, of one another or of ourselves or of God and, and knowing that he can take the audacity of our questions. How do we get, you know, what is that process of unpeeling into like the actual God, right? Um, you know, as you've wrestled with these passages with scripture, as you've kind of thought through your own life, um, are there like a stages or frameworks that when you begin to ask a question that you kind of go through or emotional stages? Yeah, I think I'll say this. I think we're seeing an epidemic of, um, well, I think we're seeing in the church today a breakdown of faith. And what we're seeing is a breakdown of faith in institutions and people. Um, because as institutions and people fail, we realize our faith was misplaced. And, and I think real faith, true faith means that we can't actually see the source of our faith or the subject of our faith. Um, we, we have to trust that God is real and that God is good and he's faithful and kind and all those things. And so I think the first question that I have to reckon with around these things is, um, whether or not God exists, whether or not God is good. Can I still ask the question? Um, we have to ask that because as long as we're still staying in this narrow spot of like, is God good? Um, that's presupposing that God exists. Maybe this is getting too big, but it's presupposing that God exists. Uh, and I think we need to step back and say, whether or not God exists, is he good? And I think that question frees us to explore the full gamut of God's goodness because it is stepping out in trust that um, if God exists, he will show us his goodness. And if he doesn't exist, well, he doesn't exist. And so there's, you know, there's nothing we're on our own, right? And so I I really, in a sense, can't lose, right? 
with that question, I can't lose. Um, I do believe that God exists. I do believe that he's good. I do believe that Jesus is the way, the truth of life. And so I do believe it when I ask the question, um, whether or not God exists, is he good? Uh, that that's going to take me to his goodness. Um, but I think so often, so many of us are terrified to even wonder or to say out loud that we wonder um, if God exists at all. And, and so we just, instead we kind of put, um, before we ask that question, we just kind of put in our minds, like the institutions that might, that, that we can put our faith in or the people that we can put our faith in. And, and I think that's where, where our questions get stopped up in a lot of ways, because we are afraid that we're going to disappoint institutions or we're afraid we're going to disappoint people. If I can shove them out of the way though, and just say like, God's the only one that matters. And if he exists, he's going to catch me when I fall. Um, I think that helps us in our faith. I know that was really complex. I was trying to make it simple, <laughs> but, um, but these are big questions, so it's hard. <laughs> these are big questions. Yeah. They're big questions. Yeah. How do questions help form a community, right? You mentioned this idea of institutions, and and I think our institutions are important and need to be reformed. And yes, some of them have failed, and just like people need to repent. But I, you know, I think what's awesome about institutions is they actually provide a legacy and a home for the vulnerable if they're doing their job well and a mission that lives beyond a moment but they are also broken by sin. So all that to say, <laughs> um, you know, as we think about questions and not just like us individually um, questioning God, relating to God, we also have questions in community. And so how, how do we become both, you know, a, a curious community, you know, and so how do our questions help one another? How do they help form a community? I like to give the illustration of like, if you've got two kids, with two different parents and one kid says, why is the sky blue? And the parent says, um, because it is. Whereas if another kid says, why is the sky blue? And the parent says, I don't know. Let's find out why the sky is blue. Um, even if the parent knows why the sky is blue. And I think we become a culture that is, that cultivates curiosity when we decide to go on the journey with people instead of just showing them the destination from the beginning. Um, because that journey is so important, because it's important for people to not just parrot back answers, um, but to truly know, like to not just parrot, yes, I'm loved by God because the Bible tells me so, but to truly know what the love of God is and what it feels like. And, um, and to be people who can ask someone, hey, do you feel loved by God? And if they don't know what that they don't know how to answer that. That's an opportunity for a conversation, right? Um, maybe it's an opportunity to show a person maybe what the love of God looks like. Um, and so I just think there's so many things we can do in a community when we cultivate curiosity within that community. Do you think curiosity and community is as frightening, you know, in the same way that you were talking about, it's really scary to ask yourself the question, you know, does God exist or is he good? Because that really gets at just our existential dread. <laughs> um, and, you know, so is, 
Is there the same danger in asking questions in community? Same risk, same vulnerability? Yeah, I think we all have existential dread in our communities, in our lives, in our personal lives, in our marriages, in our churches. I think faith in its nature is a risk, right? Feels like a risk. And and all relationships feel like a risk. And even conversations in some ways feel like a risk. Um, doing this podcast feels like a risk. Writing a book feels like a risk. Um, everything we do, there's a risk of something, of being hurt, being disappointed, being angered, of being let down. And um, but that risk doesn't mean that it's not worth like the possibility of of hurt or disappointment doesn't mean it's not worth still trying. The possibility of um, hurt or disappointment doesn't negate the goodness and necessity of faith in our lives. And so in relationships, as we practice curiosity with one another um, and we hold, I think the phrase hold space gets used overused too much but I think there really there really is a need to like hold an empty space for people um where we say your questions are welcome here and um I'm just gonna sit with you I talk in the book about awkward silences but only if you make them awkward like it's good for us to have quiet with our our friends and that feels like a risk I don't know why I was just in a conversation with someone the other day and there was this pause they were there's this long pause and I could tell they they wanted to fill the pause and I was like hey you don't have to fill the pause and it was like this palpable relief washed over them where they were like oh she's not gonna make me just move on to the next thing and and fill the pause and I think something kind of holy happens in that space This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Yeah, and you sit with people who let you do that, and you just you feel you feel like the fruit of the spirit is there, right? There is peace and joy and love because those are, you know, the the unhurried presence of God is being ministered to you. Yeah. What did you gain, though, from thinking through these questions of if faith is curious, what then does it lead us to? You know, and, and so at the at the end of the book or just in this you stage, give of, it away. 
No. <laughs> you could just speak generally, but yeah, where where do the answer you- is Jesus? <laughs> I know that's the end of all my books too. It's like and. God is the spacious place. And the only way you find holy in the suburbs is to find God. Yeah. But yeah, it, it does lead to Jesus. And you still need to all go buy the book, listeners. So we're not giving it away. <laughs> it's not a mystery novel that it's ruined. Um, how do we just uh, like get there? What does that look like for you? I've really been loving Peter recently. <laughs> recently. Uh, I'm usually like, I usually identify more with sort of, um, Thomas or Jonah, but man, I really have just liked Peter these days because he's like, um, he's like all in and then he's like, backpedal. Uh, uh, and you know, he just does this again and again and again and again in scripture. And, um, I think that's how we do it. We, we fail forward. Um, and we fall into our belovedness again and again and again. And I think the older, you know, before we started recording, you and I were talking about being in our forties and I just think the older we get, the more we're just like, nah, uh, like, it's not that we like are, you know, don't have convictions and beliefs about things, but we just like, we know the main thing is Jesus. And the main thing is that he loves us. And, those two main things hold everything together. And I think that's how we, that's how we move forward in this in life is to fail forward, knowing that Jesus, you know, you think about Peter walking on water, Jesus catches him when he falls. And, you know, the last thing we see of Jesus and Peter is talking about love, love for one another. And, um, I think those are two really powerful pictures of what the Christian life can be. Yeah. And really hard. (laughs) Um, Really? That's what I mean by failing forward, though, is like, it's like, I don't, I'm never going to get that right. And I've, I've made my peace with that. Yeah. It's just such a, you know, they're teaching kids these days in school about like growth mindset and some of yeah, some of that stuff is super helpful, but some of it's not because it's, um, it's not just that we grow in resilience because we fail and we try again and we pat ourselves on the back saying it's not that bad and everyone's human. You know, it's it's in that utter failure um, and being held and caught, right? That the Christian story particularly has has a window into. How do we, you know, if there's a sense right in you know the questions lead to Jesus and you know, you were saying, yes, I still believe that Jesus is the way, the truth and life. And there isn't any other way, you know, so it's not just like asking questions and we just, you know, we're, we're in kind of this ethereal cloud land of make-believe, you know? Um, so we're not there, but how, you know, how do we then, if we do, we, you know, we have firm convictions, um, how do we hold those firm convictions and still can use this this idea of curiosity as a helpful window on our faith as it continues to mature and deepen and grow. So, you know, if we think of, yes, there will always be untanglings of, you know, our cultural context in the gospel, for instance, um, and there's untanglings between where is our faith lie? Does it lie in a faulty institution or in a faulty leader? Um, or is it 
land and God himself. But if we've kind of worked through a lot of that stuff, um, what does a posture of curiosity maybe look like for the older saint? Something that's really helpful for me to remember is that every single thing that we've questioned and wrestled over in our lives to arrive where we are has sort of a counterpoint, not counterpoint, but parallel in maybe the culture. Um, and so the questions we're talking about when it comes to um, the image of God. So as we're like processing the image of God and we've come to um, to see, to hold ground, like to be grounded in the belief that we are created as image bearers and that all life has value there is an element of that question sort of lurking beneath everyone. Every single human is having questions about their own lives. Like, is my, is my life valuable? Does my life have intrinsic worth? Do, do I matter to people? And so even if we're going to say, like, I believe that every life matters, <laughs> I can still hold space for the person who's wondering if their life has value and what it looks like for them to have value in a world that might not value them, that might not seem like they value them. Um, and so I'm thinking of people who are maybe living a different lifestyle than me or have chosen different beliefs than me or um, voted different ways than me. Their lives still have value. And so my work is to figure out how to love my neighbor and help them to to see that their life has value because ultimately I believe that they are an image bearer of God and I want them to see that that's where their value is. Um, and so we hold we hold space for that by not saying you're an image bearer, you have value. <laughs> like we don't try to convince them that they have value. We show them that they're that they are valuable, and that's really hard, Ashley. Like it's just really hard to show people with whom we disagree so deeply on some issues that their life has value and that they are valuable to God and that they are worthy of his love and that they are beloved by him. And, but that's where the work is for us. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And then from the outside, right, that sort of holding, holding these things in tension can look like you're capitulating. Oh, it absolutely does. Yeah. I mean, the amount of times that it, I've been accused of being whatever, not taking the Bible seriously, not taking sin seriously, not taking Jesus seriously. I'm like, hey, Jesus is the most serious thing in my life. The scriptures are the most serious things in my life. Like I take those things more seriously than anything. Um, and yet what I've endeavored to do does often look like I um, – you know, our welcome mat says, uh, welcome, come as you are. And it's very intentional because I'm like, yeah, I want, I want you to come into my home as you are, not as you think I want you to be. Um, cause that's not going to accomplish anything. Yeah. And we see obviously all throughout the life of Christ, he was misunderstood, right? And he did it perfectly. So that can't be a deterrent for us to love other people by asking good questions. I mean, I found it's been really fun to journey through hosting this podcast. I get to ask questions, right, for for part of my work. And and to I think there's a sense in which on a podcast, because it's a public conversation, right, that we're having, um, 
how you ask questions and what kind of questions you ask obviously matter a ton, but there's a sense in which, you know, the listeners, they want to get to know the question asker, right? But, but, but what, what I love about podcasts is right. is just listening and learning to listen um, and giving someone my full attention in that moment. And I think that's so rare. Um, I mean, and I have some, I have some good friends, friends from college who would say like, oh yeah, here's Ashley with her questions. Um, you know, whenever we would get together, but I think people generally like it. I've learned to back off a little bit when it becomes a little intense, but you know, (laughs) me too. (laughs) But, um, and partly I think that's why we're, we're good friends, but I think it's like, oh, I get that. I get that impulse. But, um, you know, how have you found as just someone who is naturally curious and a good question asker that that can both be a gift. And then you, you have mentioned right before that, right. The shadow side that it becomes, you know, a a way to fill up space or you get value because you've asked the insightful question. Or it takes attention off of me. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, I have not learned this well, Ashley. I mean, you know, I've not learned this well. I, I, I still find it very difficult to be asked questions by people and to, to let myself be vulnerable. But I will say this, uh, Andy Crouch's work on vulnerability has been some of the most helpful, enlightening in powerful, um, material for me in this respect. I would say it has touched every part of my life. Um, from the voices that I listen to, the books that I read, the the ways that I operated my friendships, um, and so if if your readers are interested, they can his book Strong and Weak is um a book that he yeah talks a lot about just ha- vulnerability in our in our world and uh, and it's a challenge to me because I want I want to be someone who is vulnerable, um, not to be manipulative not to be inappropriately vulnerable or um, like an exhibitionist, but to sit with my friends who love me, who truly love me and to be honest about the things that are breaking me. And I will say it is a, it is a real uh, learning curve for me. Um, Something I wish I had learned a lot earlier, a lot sooner in my life. I will also say though, I think that um, a lot, earlier in my life through my 20s and part of my 30s like I I just wasn't healed enough to be that kind of vulnerable with a lot of people I didn't know how to be vulnerable but I also I had some healing to do and now I'm in a place where I'm like oh I'm healed enough that I'm I'm aware of my emotions I'm aware of my my broken sort of areas I'm aware of the ruts that I get into I'm aware of my besetting sins and blind spots enough that um it's not difficult for me to be vulnerable about them anymore. It's, I need Jesus. So here's how I'm needing Jesus today. Amen. Well, I'd also love to hear your laundry routine. So yes, I finished every episode with the laundry question. What does your laundry routine look like? So Ashley, I think the last time we had a podcast together, I had just released a book maybe, or was just about to release a book. And my answer was that my husband does our laundry. Yeah, yeah. And I'm happy to report that um, having just released a book, my <laughs> husband still does our laundry. <laughs> <laughs> <Woo-hoo>! <laughs> um, yeah, my 
I, that he's he is a very good husband. Yeah, mm-hmm. so he does our laundry. So somehow they magically get picked up off the bathroom floor and washed and folded back on my dresser. <laughs> the grace of a relationship, right? Yeah. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Lori. It's always a pleasure to, thanks for yeah, to have you on and to connect with you. And thank you for your helpful book to help us begin to know that God asks us questions and we don't need to be afraid. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Lori Ferguson Wilbur. You can follow her on Instagram and feel free to please grab a copy of her book. She writes about that the Bible is a permission slip to ask questions. And in a world that wants to polarize us and put us on sides, question asking may be a really great way forward. So I want to leave you listeners with one small step. And it's simply to ask a good question of yourself and then bring that question to God and bring it maybe around your dinner table. Whether it's instead of just simply asking, how was your day around the dinner table? It might be, where were you surprised by goodness today? Or where have you received the surprising goodness of God? Think of one question. And maybe it's something more vulnerable, like, is God real? And where was one time that you actually experienced the reality of God breaking in to your life and to your community? So our questions aren't just for us. They're for others. And they are for God, knowing that he is the answer and the end to all of our questioning. I hope you're able to enjoy those conversations today as you move forward in your everyday holy life. Friends, if you have not yet subscribed to the podcast, would you just take a second to do so or share this episode with a friend? It's one way that we're able to get meaningful, good questions out there in the world. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I hope that you can carry some good questions with you along your journey today. Thanks for being here. And remember, big things matter, but so does your laundry.